Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. Stop, we're only halfway through the month. We haven't prepared the reviews yet. You having a meltdown, Jeff? I'm confused. Calm down, calm down. I'll explain more in a minute. Could you please tell our listeners what is in this episode? Okay, we have a real coup this month. An interview with top film and TV location manager Midge Ferguson. Followed by our regular movie news column in which I talk about Paramount. Jeff looks at the Kingsman expanding universe and Graham... Well, I'm sure you can probably guess. Salutations. My name is Jeff, and my main cinema interests are political and horror movies. Hi, my name is Graham, and my main cinema interests are sci-fi and comic book movies. Hi, my name is Neil, and I'm still confused. OK, let me explain, Neil, and I'll do it simply. Clearly you have a certain set of skills, but I fear we may have gone beyond them. <laughs> are we going to be doing Liam Neeson jokes all I, evening? I couldn't possibly say. Now... Let's get back to what I was talking about. We have so much content that our regular show is just not big enough to handle it anymore. In fact, those shows are so large, our service provider is starting to think we are sneaking whole movies in with the podcast. So, the great news is, to accommodate our expanding cinematic universe, and it'll be better than Marvel, (laughs) we are going to deliver two main shows per month. That coupled with all the pod shorts we have, things like Director on Director and Phil Foster's View of the Movie World, means we are aiming to deliver something to you, our listeners, every week. Fantastic. Can I have my own little corner of the podcast to give out my views on the film world? Absolutely, Neil. It's going to be named after the end credits in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'm going to call it, You Still There? It's Time You Went Home. (laughs) But seriously, our new shows will have different (laughs) formats. The mid-month show will have an interview or feature, movie news, and every other month, the latest update from Steve Wright regarding Cineworld. By the way, Steve, your new Right on the Mic podcast is a lot of fun. Highly recommended and great coverage of movie, music and games. Thanks, Graham. Now, that's just the mid-month show. The end of the month show coming as always on the last day of each month, we'll have reviews, what else we've been watching, some listener comments, Lucy's view of the movies, and the jewel in the crown which everybody looks forward to, my quiz. (laughs) Yeah, right. Who knows, we might even start handing out prizes shortly for anyone who can correctly answer the questions. I think we stumped them all last month. Anyway, I've rambled on enough. Over to you, Qui-Gon. Sorry, I mean, Graham. Okay, let's not go there. That story is bad enough without us adding to it. Okay, instead I have some great news about Spotify. After a lot of hard work from my son and myself, I can now confirm that we have been added to the Spotify global podcast feed. Immediately our downloads leapt to over 2,500. More on that in the show at the end of the month. Oh, and for everyone who raised a concern on the incidental music volumes on our last show... We believe we've now resolved the problem. I won't let Jeff sit on the volume controls again. Typical. I bet he was trying to boost the volume on himself and got confused. Stop giving away state secrets, Neil. You know our Russian listeners always track us. (laughs) Instead, let's talk about the main feature. Last month, we all raved about the new Netflix series Sex Education, which 
get past the first show it's fine it's brilliant and then it really settles down which i would urge you to watch if you haven't already done so one of the joys of the series is the excellent y valley locations chosen by top location manager midge ferguson we caught up with midge recently in stratford where he was filming the latest series of shakespeare and hathaway for the BBC. You'll hear some background noise as the filming was going on around us. It kept Graham busy trying to filter it out. He certainly did. This is the most challenging editing job I've ever done for this show. The combination of a softly spoken guest and a massive coffee machine was never going to be an ideal <laughs> recording environment. In fact, at one point we had to stop the interview while Midge dealt with location access issues. Anyway, here is the interview. Over to you. Jeff. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of At The Flicks. We are here with location manager Midge Ferguson. Mr Ferguson is the go-to location guy for many of your favourite British TV shows and films made in this country, ranging from Atlantis, Merlin, to the recent and very entertaining Shakespeare and Hathaway private investigators, to movies such as King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, and my favourite film of 2018, Journey's End. Midge, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Hi. So, how do you become a locations manager? What started you down this route? I'm, it's a funny one, isn't it? When I went to college oh, 35 years ago, I had never heard of media degrees. I don't know if there were ones. There was one or two people who had an interest in television, but nobody thought about being in front of the camera, and television was kind of technical side of things, or the little I knew about it. And... Our industry, like a lot of industries back then, and even to an extent now, is quite is very nepotistic. It's family. It's take the daughter or son to work, and um, they carry on working in, in in that industry. And so I, I went off to college, know nothing about it. Wouldn't even. And I played in the guitar, and I wanted to be in a band, and started studying as an architect and then a quantity surveyor. And it was while I was at college in my final year, I shared a flat with three people who all were doing a sting media degree. And every other coursework was so much more interesting than, than mine. And then, at about the same time as they all graduated, um, I'd, it was the beginning of the 90s, the last time of a big recession, really, and I'd got a degree and there was no work, and I, the, the, the doll office forced me to go on some courses, which happened to be City and Guild's media-related thing, which involved a little bit of work experience at the BBC at Pebble Mill. Oh, cool. And then, literally, in the, a short sp space of time... Literally a week, I met some chat I was just jokingly talking to in a pub one evening. The guys I lived with who did media degrees was chatting to this bloke, and he worked for the BBC, and I jokingly said, any chance of a job? <laughs> and, and he said, why don't you have lunch with me tomorrow? So I went and saw him, and a mate of his was looking for a runner for three days. I had nothing on, I was unemployed in Birmingham, so I've, this was May 94. I'll go and be a runner for three days. So runner's a bit of a gopher, is it? But it is the dog's body, it's the coffee getter, the yeah. picker-upper, the photocopier, all those things that need doing. You know, it's no different to a lot of industries, isn't it? But I think our industry, and again, probably so much like a lot of industries, it's about personalities. Yeah. It's about how you fit in. It's about how you apply yourself. You have to be proactive in our industry. Reactive is not good enough. You, you, you can't go off doing your own thing, but it gets to a point where you need to see what needs doing, not being told all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, I did a couple of days' work and then got asked to do another couple more days. 
and then that progressed and I got longer contracts and at the time I knew nothing about the different roles and then I saw this one of somebody drives around and looks for places to film and I was doing this thing in Birmingham and the location manager was ill and he said do you know any places in Birmingham gave me a car and I drove around for four days looking for things which I'd never done before in my life yeah. I thought this is great <laughs> <laughs> um, and you then find that a lot of people don't want to do it it's always known as the thankless task within the industry it's the first in it's the last out it's the grief for everything it's the doing the thing all the things nobody wants to do I love it because it's it's the meeting of the two worlds it's the meeting of our enclosed filming world where we we live in a land of make-believe and quite cocooned in what we do but then there has to step into the real world when you're filming on location if you're in a studio you're very much enclosed to do what you like when you like how you like but then when you're out in the public domain there is to make it happen there's so much to do but in essence a location manager and event organiser yeah yeah. It's but, just it's just it's filming and you're not invited. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it isn't. We're, we're, yeah. fil- we're filming in a house and it's not open to the public. Yeah. It's, yeah. I've set it all up. I'm not inviting 300 people to come and watch us, but I've got mates who do Doctor Who and they have no choice. If they're out in the public, there will be 300 people watching them. So I'm an event organiser, but it's... It's, it's it's an event that's a different event each day. So it's that, a different place. and So I, I'm very fortunate. I If I look back at it 30 years ago, 35 years ago, if I had known that there was a job like this when I was 17, I'd, I'd have ticked all the boxes and gone, that's for me. Yeah. yeah. But who knows what they want to do at 17. So, so that very first time you're driving around for those four days in Birmingham, you see a location, you think, that's brilliant. That that would be perfect for what we're filming. You, what do you do then? When, when I, was, I can remember I was, I was asked to find a derelict house next to a railway. I mean, I knew nothing about health and safety side or anything like that. And so you just think to yourself, what have I driven past? And so you go and think, where are the railways? And I lived in the part of Birmingham by the railways, and you think, there's a derelict house by a railway. The old days of taking it on a camera and taking the pictures to boots and waiting an hour and getting them developed. And then you show them the director, and he goes, no, but I want it in a field. Next to the railway. <laughs> oh, you didn't tell me that. So you, so you then run. So you then go, where's the railway lines through fields? And so off out into the black country. And I'll never forget it because the first day I did it was, I think, the day that Chris Evans launched on Virgin Radio because I stuck this on at six in the morning as I left the house, determined to find this thing that I'd been asked to find. It was like I was going to find this. Never seen it, but you kind of then, I guess, I don't know if all location managers the same, you start then picturing in your mind what you're after yeah. now as I've got more experience that, that that picture is formed by a script to start with and then conversations with the director the producer and the designer now I read something and I go I've seen somewhere which we've never used and I've driven past that would be perfect okay. for that in essence it's, it's it's about driving around with right. with your eyes open. But um, do you still get that even today? You, you they'll you have that conversation and say this is what we want. Absolutely. You you find that place I, and then they come back and say, well, actually, I want this added. Prime example, you mentioned in your introduction the show that I'm just finishing off now, the second series of a light-hearted drama for the BBC called yeah. Shakespeare and Hathaway, which is daytime telly. It's wasted on daytime telly. It should be Sunday nights. Yeah. It's it's too good to be. Shown on daytime telly. It, it, uh, it's fun. It's like an Ameri- It's like a British murder she wrote type thing. That sort of vibe. It is, but it's got that. It's got that um, midsummer murders kind of yeah. feel to it. 
and it would be perfect on a eight o'clock on a Sunday night. There's no gore and guts to it. It's no. all a bit light-hearted. The kids could watch it. It's all a bit fun. And one of the episodes last year was all about a care home. Now, what do you do? Do you go and find a care home, or do you find a building that you can believe is a care home? Yeah. Now, so I don't go looking for a care home. I'm not interested in a care home. I want a building that's interesting that we can make a care home. And so I do a little bit of research, look on a map and things like that. So I'm looking for old houses, stately homes. We want to slightly run down. And purely by chance, by getting lost, I came across a place called Oversley Castle, just outside Ulster, on top of a hill. Unbelievable 1923 house. Empty, due to redevelopment. Big enough to believe ten people lived it as a care home and it was a period-looking building, had features to it and was wonderful and was empty and the owner said, yeah, give us the money, you can have it for two weeks. It's... If you just read the script, literally, a care home, that's a boring 70s brick oval thing in the centre of town which has got no character to it. Yeah, yeah. We all do it, don't we? We yeah. all drive past something. We don't quite know why we like that. We watch a film, we might not know why we quite like that. Mm. There's a song, we might not know why we like that. Something different, something interesting, as well as, I don't call them stereotypes, but things that we all latch into. I could just go and look for a care home, or I go and look for a building to put a care home in. It's not normal care home. Tomorrow, we've got some foreign press down to interview... Mark and Joe um, from the Shakespeare show, lady organising it all, they said yes, and they want to interview the, camp, the costume department, the makeup department, the design department, the producer. Doesn't mention my department because my department isn't seen as being creative. We, we just we just tell people where to go to the toilet and where to park. And, and even now, still now, we're not we're not seen as creative because we don't win awards. This is me being bitter now. We, we, we don't win awards. The Oscars and the BAFTAs go to makeup, costume, art direction, cinematographer, director, producer. Yeah, that big opening wide scene in such and such a film. The designer hasn't designed that. The location manager has found it. And the location manager has made it happen. I did Agatha Raisin years ago, which we might come on to. And we had an old episode and I filmed it at Eastnall Castle. Went into Eastnall Castle, didn't have to change a thing. We were there for two weeks. Designer didn't like it because he didn't need to change a thing. <laughs> he didn't like it. He wanted to be able to change things. Yeah. To put his mark on the show. But I'd found a location that completely fitted the briefing. Pissed him off. <laughs> because it, he was hoping to be able to do something yeah. to it. But, but so well, I don't get any credit for that. Of course not. And, and I... I Location manager, if you look in the credits, we're down there somewhere between the choreographer, the bloke who's brought the dog. It's getting better. People realise how big and good our contribution is now. Yeah. For years, we have been the people who tell them where to park and where to go. To the well, I'm going to leap out of sequence on this now, so I've got to ask go. this question now. Go on. So, my favourite film of the year is Journey's End, which yes. I know you worked on. Yes. And those trenches, I heard a story, and you can correct me now if the story is true that those trenches were built for a Sainsbury's advert a few years ago in a place, was it Trench Farm near Ipswich? They were built before the Sainsbury's advert. Yeah. I think I could stand corrected here. They were built by a reenactment group, I believe, on this ah, farm in right, Ipswich. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was then used for Sainsbury's advert. It was then used for Downton Abbey. Right. And we... I didn't come across that, I'll be brutally honest... What had happened was that producers of Journey's End, they'd had it in the pipeline for ages. Again, I, can, I might be paraphrasing the correct term here. I might not have my details fully correct here. But I think for years, the producers have been trying to get the rights to the, to the, to the book, to the play, to make it. But they were owned by Warner Brothers or something like that. Warner Brothers 
had no intention of making it. And then with the help of Prince Andrew, who did visit us on set, they said, we're never going to make this. We'll let you have them. And so I, 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 you'd have to, you'd probably come on, you'd be able to find this all online, exactly the details. But I think um, Simon got the right share of his play. And so I think they had already knew that these trenches existed in Ipswich. And then what happens with a lot of filming? So, you might just have to pause me there a second, guys. Okay, so okay. go on, grab me after me, mate. How many of you? Um, yeah, that's the last one, mate. There we go, bro. Everything else alright? No, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, cheers, mate. Sorry, guys. Um, so I, I think they had already found the trenches, they knew about them. Yeah. Then I got approached about it because a lot of filming happens in Wales yeah. because of financial incentives, tax incentives, and all these minor things that the Welsh government is allowed to offer up. When Doctor Who came about, they then realised that just making these not only employs a lot of people can then have an after effect of attracting tourism and everything else so we knew we were going to be in Ipswich and so we then had to find bits in Wales to make it work now what was fantastic was Simon one of the producers and the writer was prepared to with artistic licence adapt the opening based very much on what we could find so that opening of that film started off as a railway journey so we looked at the railways in the Forest of Dean in the um up in Kidderminster to see whether we could stage a 1917 railway journey of the guys leaving the UK. Yeah. We then looked into Newport docks to see whether we could see them getting on boats and whether it was believable. And then I spent a long time looking for a big setup of Nissan huts, looking for different elements of a way of opening the story. And in the end, with the help of Christian, the designer, fantastic designer, who's just done Killing Eve, and me and him were looking at things, and he said, Tradiga House in Newport, we could imagine that that's the, the barracks or where when all the British troops have landed and come into Normandy or wherever, northern France and Belgium, before they get sent off to the trenches. And so at that point, we went, right, so we used land and elements of Tradiga House, which is also Newport, and then from experience from doing Merlin, I knew of the different castles and things in South Wales, which looked, shot in such a way, looked like buildings had been blown up. And so a lot of that sequence is then I shot at Old Bimpley Castle down in Pagend. OK. Yeah. In Neath Abbey, outside Neath Abbey. And then we shot bits in Forest Fire. The bizarre there's, there's a, 90, a house just outside Newport that we used for the end sequence where the, the letter comes back. And we were filming that two years ago now in the November. And I had to then find, which was meant to be spring, I had to find a row of trees that still had all its leaves on it. And that's um, down by the castle in Cardiff for the guy on the bike. Wow. And so all of... Apart from the trenches shot in, in Ipswich, which we were there for two, three weeks, yeah. everything else is shot within fighting distance of the Pinewood Studios in Newport. That's incredible. So uh, I, I'm not going to take all the credit for it. Christian's work looked fantastic. On a very low-budget film, they involved all the reenactment lads who came with all their own kit and costumes and guns, and so they used them both um, in, in Ipswich and then down... In, in Wales, Christian managed to get a couple of period vehicles to just add them in and the horses and the castles all looked after by Cadu, the, the kind of Welsh equivalent of um, English heritage and the National Trust who look after all, a lot of the monuments in, in Wales. And I've built up a very good relationship with them over the years doing the show Merlin for five years. So but what happens, so, so you book in a location for like a four-day shoot and they go behind? Uh, well, they, TV doesn't. TV, mm. TV cut. 
Yeah. You have a script where shooting 45 minute episodes here. So the script's going to be about 45 pages long. This show will shoot about eight pages a day. And so there'll be 20 pages in the RSC. We know that's two and a half days filming. We have to fit it into two and a half days filming. Yeah. So the assistant director sits down with the director and goes, two and a half days to shoot these scenes in the RSC. And the director goes, no, I need three. Yeah. I'm lucky you've got two and a half. <laughs> so, you then, so you then go back to the script department and go, do we need all of that? Can we simplify things to make it shoot easier? Can we shoot in such a way that it's quicker? Then they go, no, we still need three. Right, we've only got eight days to shoot this episode. You've got to lose half a day from somewhere else. So, such and such a scene, we need to trim something else. I've already spoke to the RSC. Have you got three days we can have? No. I've got a two day and a one day separate, separated out. Okay, well, we'll come and do all the exterior stuff on the one day, and then we'll come back next week when we're two days together to do all the interior stuff. So, there's all this joking about with the schedule, which an assistant director does. And it's the same with film. A film can overrun because film's got yeah. money and the delivery date's not so crucial. TV. You've yeah. got 70 days to shoot this episode and it is 70 days. I mean, you were on King Arthur, yeah. weren't you, Legend of the Sword, which is a mega production. It's a different book. Different book. So, I mean, I, I, I mean, most of that was shot in studio at, um, at Watford, but then we were up in Forest Dean and North Wales yeah. and a little bit in Scotland, which, which I didn't, which I didn't do, yeah. do the Scotland bit, but I did a lot of the scouting for the North Wales bit in Snowdon and then I know the Forest of Dean very well, so um, we filmed bits there. But that's, that's a different point. That, 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 shoots, that shoots seconds a day. I mean, it's a lo- we think it's a great film. I certainly yeah, had that conversation with, like, the... The, the King Arthur thing with Guy Ritchie's, you know, geezer guys. I think it works really I mean, well. It's, it's, I mean, I, I really liked his take on Sherlock. I thought his two Sherlock films were tremendous, and I think, yeah. I think King Arthur was an extension of that, really. Yeah. I really liked his play on the Man from Uncle as well. I mean, he's doing Aladdin at the moment. Yes, I believe um, he's got tough guys to come after that. He's, uh... is it, uh, you, you guys know more than me, but I find film a little bit slow because you have so much time. Yeah, colossal budgets. I get run off my feet sometimes, but I do like to be kept busy. You know, there were eight months planning for six days filming in Snowden. You know, yeah. I get two weeks to plan six days on TV. You know, they're kind of opposite extremes, really. Yeah, but um, you must have built a, a good rapport with Guy Ritchie because I, I, never really, I, never, I never really spoke to Guy. I mean, I you get big shows like that now and you have a supervisor and location manager right. which in King Arthur was Amanda Stevens. you then have because it's studio based leaves since the studios by the way you, and very London orientated like all of these shows are she's got her team that have done countless shows for her in London and then I'm the chap who's out in the sticks who actually knows the provinces and so that's I'd known Amanda from doing The Hollow Crown when they'd come to Caffilly Castle and Tower oh, and stuff like that I knew the Forest of Dean and I knew Snowden from when I'd done the kids film Nativity and a couple of other things and, yeah, um, uh, uh, yeah I've got a question for you on Nativity and, 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 I'll come so back to that I wouldn't mind doing more film but I don't want to live in London I've done my time in London doing TV shows I don't want yeah. I want to be in London. Um, it's a thankless task. Location manager in London, I'll take my hat off to you. I don't really want to do it anymore. <laughs> so, it was hard enough 12 years ago doing Silent Witness. So of all the projects you've done, which has given you the most satisfaction, would you say? I think, I'm hoping it gets surpassed in the new year when the show Sex Education that I did earlier in the year comes out on Netflix on the 11th of Jan. 
Because it's been noticing. Probably my contribution to Skins ten years ago on series two and three. Brian Elsie, the creator and writer of Skins, after the first series, I was slightly involved with the first series, then did the second and third series. And he came to me and said, you, you know, Bristol, what have you seen that I can write about? And when somebody says that to you, and I jokingly said, I think some of the streets in Bristol would, be, would make a great San Francisco's car chase. <laughs> Down the road's back of the yeah, yeah. parallel with Park Street, I don't know if you know Bristol. So yeah, I, jo- I jokingly, and Totter Down and all this, I said, oh, yeah. I said, fantastic car chase. A couple of weeks later, comes back. Scenes of a car chase. Of the boys having mate Chris die, they nick his coffin, stick it on top of a mini, and it's chased by the undertakers and the hearse. And I thought, this is great. And it only lasts a minute and a half on telly. But... It took us three Sundays to film around Park Street and everything in Bristol, and I think it looks fantastic. And then off the back of that, he said, oh, the opening of the next series, I'd love to see a bloke skateboarding down Park Street in and out of all the cars and everything like that. So we did that. Closing Park Street three Sunday mornings in the summer, from four in the morning till ten o'clock. And so when you look, again, only a minute and a half, but you look at that and you think to yourself, yes. And you know other location managers wouldn't know what's involved to achieve that so you just go I'll have that that'll do and I've just done a show called Sex Education that's the one with Gillian Anderson Gillian Anderson Asia Butterfield who was in June's End June's End Um, and again that was great in the sense that I met the director and he said it's a teen coming of age college drama but I don't want it to look like Crane Jill or you know Waterloo Road or something and he said, and Ben, no, I'd never met this director, and we met February last year. He said, Have you ever heard of a chap called John Hughes? I said, You're having a laugh, aren't you? He said, Have you ever seen Ferris? I said, Just don't be stupid, Ben, don't, don't insult me. And I know more, we watched them religiously, the students. Yeah. He said, Well, I want a college drama shot in the UK that looks like John Hughes's college dramas. What? Said, so that's what we've shot. Oh, right. and that's what we've shot. That's what we've shot in Killeen, in the old campus of Killeen. And that's coming on in January. Comes out January. And what he said was then, we don't want to be England, we want people to watch and go, where's that? Is that Europe, North America? I want it to look like the Goonies, I want to look at like the kids running on their bikes, I want it to look like E.T. when they're... So I want those kind of locations. You just so realised you've got so three people adding this to their must-watch list. Like. So that's, <laughs> shot, that's all shot in the Y Valley. Wow. So I hear our houses in Simmonjack, above the... Um, Sounds chalet above there, and then it's in Landogo, Tintin, just outside Chepstow, um, up as far as Ross, um, and ironically coming from Monmouth, I wanted to use bits of Monmouth which we didn't use in the end, but I'm sure we'll go back to at some point. Um, and uh, I showed them all the places I grew up to as a, as a kid, and they said those are the kind of things we want. They wanted iconic-looking images rather than just the dialogue, which is. Yeah. And I just said. What about these? And they were like, this is, this is perfect. So bits like the old wire bridge in Tintin is our world of where the kids travel from where where they live across the bridge to town where they go to college. So the whole idea is you watch it and you certainly don't think it's shot in the UK. I just assumed when I grew up that everybody had a, a Y Valley on their doorstep. <laughs> and there aren't many Y Valleys. That, because, again, I was allowed to express myself, Yeah, is... Satisfaction, but it comes back to what you were saying earlier isn't it? about the fact that <coughs> oh, but, locations managers are overlooked, and yet you've already shown a number of artistic mo- but, but, moments you've made. Well, there you go. You, let, let's say it's it's as big as Stranger Things is what they would love to think it's going to be. Yeah. Did, did you see a TV show called The End of the Effing World this year? Fantastic yeah. show. 
Have you ever, no, seen, have you ever seen a film called Submarine? Yes. Yeah. End of the f***ing world is like Submarine. Yeah. And sex education is a bit similar to that. Got something that could be up there for nominations. The location manager won't be stood there when the designer's winning an award or the producer's winning no. an award. <laughs> Probably not even thanked in their speech either. Well, I don't, I, 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 I've got to say I think they would thank me, but you know, they all know the contribution that the location yeah. department put into this. Good producers, good directors know how invaluable their contribution Good location manager. Yeah. So we can bring so many different skills and attributes yeah. and contributions um, to, to what we do. And it's, it's a bit like a rugby team, going back yeah. to office. You know, rugby used to be a game for all different shapes and sizes. And locations can incorporate that as well. Incorporate the person with the practical skills, incorporate yeah. the person with the manner with the public, incorporate people with the creative eye. But, you know, it, it, it's all so there's, there's, there's a room for kind of. Everybody in the locations department. Yeah. But he says, there's, <laughs> but, a, "There's a quote. There's room for everybody in that." <laughs> but taking that thing about teams, you say you've got your team and there are other teams. When you meet up with other location managers, are you sort of open or is it like a game of poker? You keep your Do cards you know what? close to yourself. It's all changed massively. I think the internet's changed. The internet's changed all of that, and also the demands that are put on us. When I started 20 years ago, you kept all your cards to yourself. Yeah. If you found a great location, you didn't share it with anybody. If you'd found the bloke to speak to in Birmingham City Council about closing roads, you kept that to yourself. Because yeah. you'd done all the groundwork. Yeah. Now, we're as departments, so much is put in us. We're asked to achieve things in such a short space of time and so quickly. Regularly on the three location managers' pages on Facebook, has anybody got a contact for the barracks in Kaiwent? I need to blow up a house or blow up a car. Yeah, you need to speak to Captain Peter Davis. No worries. Give him my regards. Thank you very much. Anybody got a contact for such and such? Yeah, I tried to film there last year. It's run by blah, blah, blah. They're a bloody nightmare. <laughs> I really would consider you go somewhere else. Yeah. Or, and, and so we all kind of help each other out. There's a big adaptation of All the Worlds filming next year, which friends are doing. The producer's been on the phone to me this morning needing some help with locations. And I've been saying I don't mind sharing information with him because he's a friend and I've known him 25 years. Yeah. I don't want everything... I don't want it all being given to another production company who then don't employ me and have got my information for nothing. Yeah. yeah. It's a little bit of game of poker. You, you've got your friend around the table. It's, it's, as location managers, we all know that we're putting in stupid situations, requests, last minute. You know, all of a sudden, today, the actor falls down the stairs... Hurts his ankle, we can't finish the scenes today. Can we bring Friday's filming forward to tomorrow and swap first in Friday? Well, I don't know. Well, can you find out? Uh, when do you need to, well, need to know now? So I'm on the phone then to... Is there any chance we could be in Friday? Uh, we could be here Friday. Can I bring the location forward from Friday to Thursday? Yeah, I've sorted all that. Oh, it's all right. He's been discharged from hospital. He's not too bad anyway, so we'll carry on as we are. <laughs> oh, that happens all the time. All the time. And so I've built up a good relationship with the location from Friday so I could ring them and go... I'm in the shit here. Yeah. Can you help? Well, well, we've got some people who booked the room for an hour on Friday, on Thursday afternoon. Well, who is it? Oh, it's a yoga class. Do they fancy going for coffee rather than having yoga on Thursday? <laughs> and I'll, and I'll, buy the coffee. I'll buy the coffee and give them something towards a Christmas yoga class. It's, again, building up those relationships. But we, those kind of things get thrown at not just me. All location managers could list you arm length of... Request that when you look at it in a whole lot of days, like you've asked for what, yeah. when, how, you're having a laugh. Yeah. And then what happens is we achieve it, 
I said, then the next time, it's not seemed like such a stupid question. And so we've, it's a bit like in all walks of life again. Because can, of your can, own success. Yeah, can, yeah. You make this, can you make this product in less time and better quality than you do? Yeah. Guess what, the next time you've got even less money and less time. And this isn't as good as last time. Bloody surprised? Well, 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 is your heart not in it? You, <laughs> oh my god! But, but, but it's not just what I do. I'm, I, yeah. it, it would be no, this, mate. There's people who actually save lives for a living rather than make a bit of telling. Yeah. And the NHS, you have to deal with that day in day out. Do, do you know what I mean? So uh, I'm saying, woe is me. But compared to, we make a bit of telly. You know, there's people who actually. Do, yeah, but it's a, do 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 important job for one of better expression. Yeah. But. It's the whole thing. It's an old film, Sullivan's Travels. It's um, Preston Sturges' 40s film. And it's about this director who wants to make a meaningful film. So he goes on the road and one thing ends up after another and he ends up in prison. And in prison, he's with all these guys who are all sort of, you know, obviously not very happy. And then they put them into a cinema and they're showing cartoons. And those cartoons brighten up their lives. So the, the whole thing, you, you're right, everything has, it, has its purpose. So, yeah. yeah. The NHS is extremely important. So is entertainment. Oh, it is. I mean, you know, but it is quite surprising when you get people who are unhate, not just unhelpful, but obstructive, and you think, what are you doing this evening while I'll be watching telly? Yeah. yeah. Guess what, mate? Yeah, this is do it. Yeah, you know. How, how do you think? But it's the same, isn't it? There, there are a lot of villains in this world, unless you go to prison, but I don't want a prison in my neighbourhood. No. no. So at the moment, sort of, uh, Shakespeare and Hathaway is a, a drama and sex yeah. education, but you've also done a lot of the fantasy elements that, you know, Merlin and Atlantis, yeah. which are harder to do. Uh, something in a modern setting uh, or something in a yeah, fantasy yeah, setting? Yeah. Fantasy, fantasy setting nowadays is boring's not the right word. I'll give you an example, the five series of Merlin. When we started, based in South Wales, it didn't start, I didn't do series one. Um, even though I was asked to, I was doing a show called Primeval at the time. And they started filming series one based out of Longcross Studios down near Guildford in London. Still using Pierfonts, the big chateau, but it was Welsh money. BBC Wales money. BBC Wales said, hang about. You can film in your chateau in France, but you're doing the rest in Wales. If we're giving you the money, you're shooting in Wales. So... The second series, or half of the series one, the second series, they were down in Trafalgar. We would go and film at Rackham Castle and Caffilly Castle and Chepstow Castle, and there'd be ruins, and we'd shoot elements of the castle so you didn't see the ruined bits, so you'd see it for real. And a little bit of to green screen and CGI to embellish it, because we had a dragon in the panic then, make-believe. By the time we got to series five, all they were interested in was the doorway and everything else is CGI'd. Everything, by that point, how it developed over the five years, it went from a little bit being... This is on TV, being green screen and CGI, being the whole lot. And all of that, I, I personally believe, again, is when Harry Potter came along and you look at it, the standard that kids expected having gone to the cinema and watched Harry Potter, yeah. Yeah. they weren't going to watch Star Trek on telly with wobbly scenery. Yeah. Star, you know, Doctor Who upped its game, had to up its game. Merlin came along, had to up its game and we couldn't just keep going and using the same bit of Raglan Castle and the same bit of Caffilly Castle and the same bit of Chapstone Castle and that then became a bit disappointing because I wasn't looking for whole locations and I was looking for individual shots which wasn't to me as creative and you didn't quite know what you were looking for because it wasn't the creative element had then really much gone to the editor yeah. and the composite chaps who put the CGI and everything together and they were easy because there's only so many castles yeah. I can remember one time a director who I'll say it again I'll say his name Jeremy Webb we'd look at all these things on a Friday and he'd go oh, I don't like any of the castles if you can keep looking and I said, if you think you're going to come back on Monday and Edward I has built another couple of castles and Cromwell's not 
doctors down by Monday. <laughs> You've got another thing coming, mate. Those, those are the five within 40 miles of Cardiff. Which one are you having? Yeah. Well, I don't like any of them. Well, guess what? There aren't many more to pick from. Whereas if you're doing a contemporary show and the director goes, I don't like that house, you can hardly say, well, there's no other houses, mate. Yeah. You know, I mean, getting into them and making them happen. But you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm a big fan of you know, the original Star Wars with proper furry animals rather than a load of graphics in the ones yeah. that the prequels he did. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the fantasy ones and things like that are, in a way, easy to do because you've only got so many of those elements. Yeah. You, you haven't got a bottomless pit of them. If I'm written scenes in a courtroom like we've just shot, there's only so many courtrooms that I can get into who would let me film for four days because they're not used anymore. Warwick be one of them. There was a thing the other day looking for prisoners. Everybody knows there's a prison in Shrewsbury and a prison in Gloucester. Yeah, say Gloucester. But Gloucester's packed out. There's always filming going on down there. Because they're known about. But if you wanted to film in pubs, in theory, there's thousands of them. Do do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So... The fantasy things are a little bit easier, and this one became the thing with Merlin. It almost got a little bit boring then because they would know the castles and the elements, and they would write specifically to those. So I wouldn't have to scout for anything. But we got to series five. I wasn't scouting for anything new. Yeah. It was just making the things happen in Puzzlewood, Lydney Park Estate, Clearwell Caves, Chepstow Castle. Neath Abbey, because those were the known elements, and we don't need to go for anything else because CGI and the computer side of things has increased and become so so good. Yeah. We don't need it anymore because we <clears throat> painted all in afterwards. Yeah. Um, Didn't Star Wars use Puzzlewood for something? One of the one. That we... I play, yeah, we got gazumped by good old Mally Chung, good friend of mine, who's the main man for Star Wars location manager. Um, we were down to filming Puzzlewood. We, filmed in, we were the first to film in Puzzlewood on Merlin. Then Helen rang me, Ben's Puzzlewood, our own Puzzlewood. We've got a problem, I suggested. You're booked in next week to do Atlantis here for a week. He said, Harrison Ford has broken his ankle. They're rescheduling Star Wars. They want to come next week. And they're paying ten times what you're offering, and you haven't signed your contract. Oh, no. And so Star Wars us. The producers of Atlantis had become a little bit complacent because we were... 20 miles up the road and we went there regularly we kind of it was on our back doorstep we could go whenever we liked and Helen would have us yeah. and so we'd become a little bit lazy in confirming our dates and times and when Star Wars come calling I don't blame her <laughs> and you had to find another location pretty fast did you? well there's better is better in the Forest of Dean than Puzzlewood. So I want to go back to Agatha Raisin, which we spoke about earlier. Okay. Now, I was convinced when I watched it, and I could quite enjoy the series, It was I was convinced it was being filmed in Stowe-on-the-Wold, just the look of it, and the, it wasn't. The, 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 the pilot was, bits of the pilot was. Yeah. Johnny Ludlow was the location manager on that. Yeah. The pilot um, was, and then I got rung up and asked if I'd do the series. Yeah. Which I did. They just shot a second series, and the, which was shot this year. Which I did sex education instead of doing that. The village is Biddeston, just outside Chippenham. Right. Yeah. Um, it's again. It's that quintessential English village with a pub and a duck pond. Yeah. And a church, but the church in Biddeston's crap. So we went ten miles up the road to Causley by Charlton and yeah. used their church and their little street there, cut it all together. So it looks like. Have you got anything coming up you can talk about? We've been asked to do War of the Worlds, this production, French production, Canal, the same channel or whatever, the same guys who did Merlin, Atlantis, and Crazy Head with. I didn't want to do it because I'm tired, but the producer's been on the phone this morning asking if I'll help him out. Sex Education comes out 11th of Jan. They're very optimistic there'll be a second series of that. Um, As I'm 
I was genuinely pleased with principal director, a chap called Ben Taylor. I thought the performances he's got out of the cast were fantastic. Sam Harley, the designer, I thought it looked fantastic. It's got this very popular feel to it at the moment, which Ben described as contemporary nostalgia. Yeah. So it's set in now, so kids have got mobile phones, it's contemporary music, but it's got that kind of older look to it. So a bit like that Stranger Things look, a bit like Stranger Things. If you look at three billboards, it's got that kind of old vehicles, older feel to almost 70s, 80s kind of feel to it. So that's what we've got in it, and I think it looks fantastic. Sam's team worked their socks off, and it it looks great. And the locations we found and we've used, I think I've been asked to make myself available for a second series of that, and I hope it's as successful as we believe it will be. So that could be my my time next year. But you never know, this time last year, I was finishing Shakespeare and Hathaway. I didn't know what I was going to be doing. I helped Father Brown out to the BBC Studios thing just for a couple of days, a couple of weeks in January, finding a new base because they're still on the world, just around the corner from you guys. They were based for years at the. um... So this time last year, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I helped Father Brown move and then. Ian Strachan, the line producer from Agatha, rang me. We started chatting about doing another series of that. And literally, while I was in the car with him, I got rung to ask if I'd be interested in doing this thing for Netflix, Sex Education. And so at the moment, you know, this time last year, I didn't know what I was doing. And then I've done had another busy year this year. So it's kind of nice to know what I'm doing next year. But you never know. I got to the age now where the scripts is kind of important. But a lot of it is the environment I'm being asked to work in and the people I'm being asked to work with. Right. I don't want to work in London. London's thankless. It, it really is. You know, everywhere's been filmed. Yeah. There's nowhere original, or very few places. There's so much filming, people have had enough of it. And whereas you come out here, that's one reason why I took this last year. I shot round here 20 years ago doing Dangerfield when I was a location assistant. And Warwickshire's... Um, is, we're new to them it's a bit of a novelty value we're not a big show so we don't come in and take over the place and I think you'll find already a lot of people from Stratford and Warwick and Shakespeare and Hathaway is their show now a bit like for years Casualty was Bristol's show and Doctor Who is very much Cardiff yeah. so, as I said we've been so supported by RSC, Rochester District Council, County Council and all the different elements and things it's all worked, all worked really well Final um, question, and yeah. we let you back to it yeah. you, If you do manage to take a holiday yeah. do you rest or are you always looking at places where you're on holiday <laughs> thinking it'll make a great location? I don't have a sat-nav on my car my best locations I've found by getting lost. If you've got a sat-nav, you just, whether you like it or not, you follow what the router tells you. I have found my best locations by getting lost. Driving down a road I shouldn't have driven down. Gone down a road that says private, and you think, I'll get away with this. Doing Agatha Racing three years ago, I was up by Tetbury, and just saw this driver, and thought, I reckon there's something down there of interest. So I said private, I thought, I'll use the usual excuse, oh, sorry, mate, I'm a location manager, I didn't realise. So I started driving down there. Out of nowhere come two very heavily armed coppers. Oh, yeah. Can I help, sir? Yeah, I'm a location manager. I don't think Prince Charles will have you filming at his, his house. <laughs> no, I think you're right, sir. I think I'll turn around. <laughs> I don't think you'll be filming at Highgrove, do you, sir? No. <laughs> I don't think I will. I'll just turn around and, and go. But as I said, I, you know, you find things by going down and and asking. And I can remember doing Silent Witness, and there's a whole episode or bits written about a guy trying to escape on the Eurostar to France. And I thought, we don't stick a chance here. How am I going to film the Eurostar? And I thought, I've got nothing to lose, so I went down and I said, don't know who to speak to, blah, blah, blah. And 
location manager silent and this, and this is before the born supremacy when they'd shot at Waterloo Station this lady came out early days of the internet and she said drop me an email of what you exactly want so I dropped an email and name was her name was Leslie Rattley absolutely delightful lady three or four days later I got a phone call do you want to pop over and have a chat I said yeah she said listen we're shooting a commercial for Eurostar we're going from here to Ashford We've got a train specially commissioned for us for the morning. We're in one half. You can have the other half. It'll stop at three stations. These will be the time. Do you want to do it? Wow. Yes. Yes, please. Three days before, heavy snowfall, coming up to Valentine's Day. Load of trains still stuck in Paris. Couldn't get over here. I rang her up and said, is it being cancelled? She God, no. We've got our filming to do. Stuff them. There's all these people trying to get to Paris for Valentine's Day from Waterloo with no trains. Um, well, no, wonderful romantic weekends ruined and we were just loading our gear onto our train that was commissioned and booked for us down to Ashford and back to shoot so sometimes you get things you just wouldn't believe are great and are accommodating and, and then sometimes the most what you think might be the simplest things to do and however you explain them and however you've thought things through and go it's not going to be disruptive the answer's no Can you ever persuade people like that or you just give up and look for something else? I'm really call me old fashioned or not the hardest thing for me as a location manager I think a lot of my contemporaries would agree with me are houses. Private houses are hard work. Filming in here, speak to the business manager, the conference manager, the events manager, the event organiser. I want to film in your cafe for a day. Okay, our quietest days are Monday, we'll close it for you. Give us X. Business arrangement. I want to film in your personal spaces, in your bedroom, in your living room. Yeah. You can't cold, I don't think you can cold call on people's doors. So I put a letter around saying, I'm driving around this area, I need a big house that's got quite grand from the outside with some gates and blah, blah, blah. And from the outside, your house looks like it would be of real interest to us. It would be a couple of days filming next month. As well as the outside, we would be interested in the living room and kitchen. If you think it might not be com completely impossible, please give me a bell and I'll come and have a chat. Every now and again, give these letters out. And I get about four phone calls back for every ten. I don't put hundreds out. But at least then somebody's invited me in. And I talk to them and I'd be honest with them. And I'll say, when did you last have a party? And if it was like my mum, who's never had a party in her life, I'd go, filming's not for you. If you've had 20 people in here, then you'll put up with a film crew. There won't be any booze. And we won't get any noise. And we'll leave when we say we're going to leave. Unlike all the party guests who might be there a bit late. Mm. But if you don't like the idea of 20 people in your house, don't have a film crew in If you let us in, we'll look after it, take away anything that doesn't need to, it could be damaged or anything, monetary value or personal value. But that, from a location manager, you're always wondering what the owners... There might be something the owner's not quite happy with. In here, it's business arrangement. Yeah. So houses are always tricky for location owners. And then you'll always get some bright spark in the film crew, in the camera department, I'll have a film crew in my house. Then it's like, cheers, that's what we need. <laughs> you hear of horror stories, things, damage happens, things happen, they're few and far between. I've been doing location manager 23 years and I can only think of one occasion where we've had to claim on the production's insurance for damage to a property. And if I think how many thousands of days of filming I've done, yeah. how many hundreds of hours of television and film I've been involved in, I don't think that's a bad reflection yeah. on yeah. an industry that, as I said, we're a small crew with this. We filmed in houses last week. There's still 30 people in your house and a load of equipment. You know, so houses are tricky. I was very fortunate to learn from two location managers, a girl called Lynn Grant and a chap called Mike Hobson. They both have very different approaches to it. Lynn was phenomenally thorough on her paperwork and every I dotted and every T crossed. And Mike put every, wrote everything on the back of a cigarette packet. They had a fantastic manner with everybody from the bloke cleaning the street 
yeah. to Lord and Lady, whatchamacallit, both skills are... Well, it's, it's, it is the most interesting job, I think. I think it is the best job of them all. I, re- I really do. I did, did some introduction to some students last earlier in the year, and I said it's the one most people know very little about. But I think it's the one that you can make the most out, out of and get the most out of, depending how much you put into it. Location engine is hard work, but it can be fun. But without you, nothing works. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll certainly be um, shouting out for uh, Location Manager Awards. We think that's long overdue, Mitch. But, Mitch, thank you very much that's for your time. Pleasure, gentlemen. You know, I can okay. waffle on for ages, but I hope we can cut that down to two minutes. <laughs> well, Matt, well, very, very much. Oh, no, thank you. You know, I don't know if that helps. That's brilliant. brilliant. That is a little bit of Boys Don't Cry by The Cure from the Sex Education soundtrack album. What a fantastic interview. Just an update, Sex Education Season 2 has been greenlit and is being filmed this summer. If you want us to do an on-the-set report, Midge, we will happily travel to wherever you are. OK, time to get over to the movie news desk, lads. Regular listeners to this podcast know that my idea of fun is to make sure Graham gets to chat about his cinematic hero, of course being Mel Gibson, as often as possible. Sick bastard, Jeff. Now, to be honest, I thought I had exhausted that well at the end of last year and was about to hand Graham some Liam Neeson news. Then, incredibly, Graham handed me some Mel news. Maybe it's just Stockholm Syndrome. Graham, is this true? Yeah, yeah. I stupidly thought I had some news Jeff didn't know and thought it was a good idea to share it with him. Now I have to share it with the world. When will you ever learn? (laughs) One day, when Jeff starts treating me seriously with movie news. As if. However, (laughs) However, this month, it's better than reading Liam news. Okay, (laughs) let's get this over with. Deep breath. Mel has added another film to his very busy schedule, probably to start filming after he has finished directing Destroyer, his latest World War II epic, and before he starts on The Wild Bunch. The film is called Black Flies and is set in New York. Ty Sheridan, who was so good in Ready Player One, stars as a young paramedic just starting out on the job. He soon realises how harsh inner city life can be in the Big Apple. His guide and mentor, I guess you can call him Obi-Wan, is Mel Gibson, who plays an experienced medic used to the hard life. I know, Mel. Having to read these constant stories about you is hard enough. No word yet on when filming starts or release dates. However, I'm sure Jeff will make sure I keep you updated. Absolutely. Do you know, Graham? thinking about that news, I see you in the Ty Sheridan oh, role. grief. And wouldn't it be great for you to have Mel as your mentor? Anyway, I digress. Graham, pick a folded paper from this hat. Uh, hang on. Why? What's in it? It's not like I don't trust you, Jeff. Actually, I don't. Three names on three bits of paper. It helps me decide if you'll get Gibson, Neeson or Butler next month. <laughs> oh, just Gibson off. Enough, you two. Time for my story, which thankfully has nothing to do with any of those. This month, I'm talking about Paramount Pictures. 
In our last show, we mentioned the flagging fortunes of the company over recent years. Indeed, until last year, they had one of the worst records of any studio in recent times. Monster Trucks, with its $115 million loss, was bad enough, but that was followed with the remake of Ben-Hur. What were you thinking, Paramount? Zoolander 2 and Star Trek Beyond, the end of the Star Trek movie franchise, sadly. I enjoyed that one. And that is a bad run. Although, like you, I did enjoy the Star Trek film. I didn't. <laughs> Can we get Paramount, with that track record, to start making the Marvel movies? I'll be no. quiet. <laughs> Despite Mortal Engines failing, Mission Impossible Fallout and A Quiet Place were massive hits, making it an unusually profitable year for Paramount and their shareholders. So for 2019, Paramount have structured their releases around low-budget features, some horror movies... Can't wait, as one of them is from Guillermo del Toro. ...and just two big-budget releases... So you have Dora the Explorer, Limited Partners and What Men Want, which could well be low-budget hits, Pet Cemetery, Cruel, and as Jeff said, Guillermo del Toro's Are You Afraid of the Dark for horror, and the two bigger-budget releases, Gemini Man, and another as-yet-untitled Terminator film. Uh, I think that last one's a mistake. No kidding. But are they just holding out for 2020 in that year? Paramount will rake it in with Mission Impossible and A Quiet Place sequels. To make sure they have a successful year in 2020, Paramount recently pulled the plug on World War Z2, saving themselves a huge amount of money. Now, this is where the story gets interesting and ties in with our cinema versus streaming theme of the year. Last year, to offset some of its losses, Paramount sold two of its films, Annihilation and The Cloverfield Paradox, to Netflix. Following on from this, they have recently announced a deal whereby they will be the first major Hollywood studio to make films for Netflix. No films announced yet, but this could be a very lucrative move for the studio. You could say it's of paramount importance to them. Oh, good grief. Over to you, Jeff. This is an official Afterflix disclaimer for that last joke. We apologise to you, the listener. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. After making the first Kingsman movie, director Matthew Vaughan said that was it for him. However, he then had a complete about turn and made Kingsman the Golden Circle, which I actually quite liked. No. It was OK. It was awful. No, it was good. It was anyway. OK. Yeah, right, OK. Yeah, yeah. Go watch some Marvel movies, boys. Uh, now it seems Matthew Vaughan just cannot say goodbye to Kingsman, as it seems he's now building a whole Kingsman universe. Is that like his own Marvel universe? Yeah, sort of, Graham, except this will be good. Oh, that's, a, that's a low blow, Jeff. My favourite type. Back to Kingsman. Matthew Vaughan is currently filming Kingsman, the great game, in and around London. Now, this one's different to the other two Kingsman films in that none of the original cast returns. The reason for that is it's set over 100 years ago, just before the start of World War I. In this movie, newcomer Harry Dickinson will play the trainee Kingsman agent with Ralph Fiennes, who we remember, of course, from Spectre, as his mentor. Details are scarce. However, the At The Flicks team understand the film takes a sideways look at how that horrific war started. Also caster, Charles Dance, Daniel Brühl, Rush and one of those silly Marvel things... <laughs> Reese Evans, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Gemma Arterton, Stanley Tucci, Matthew Good, and the great Tom Hollander. And in fact, Mr Hollander is playing three roles in the movie. 
George V, the Kaiser and the Russian Tsar. Well, all the great houses of Europe were a bit interbred in those days. (laughs) (laughs) Kingsman The Great Game has a release date of November. However, that may get moved back, especially as this summer work is scheduled to start on the third and final Kingsman film to star Taron Egerton and Colin Firth. Along with them will be some members of the Statesman's team, although we're not yet sure who that will be. That one is scheduled to open in summer 2020. And as if that isn't enough for Mr Vaughan, he will also produce, but not direct this time, another spin-off movie called Statesman, in which Jeff Bridges, Channing Tatum and Halle Berry will all return. As there's currently no script for this movie, I suspect that might be a couple of years away. Finally, although it does now seem to have as much in it as that damned Marvel Universe, a Kingsman TV series. This is being developed and again Matthew Vaughan is involved. No other details on that at the moment, although I suspect this is a TV show for after the watershed and not for the family. Bloody hell. And I bet that won't be politically correct. Hopefully not, or I won't be watching. (laughs) So, gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap and another At The Flicks is in the can. We hope you like the new format. Please let us know what you think. Okay, guys, off to get those movie reviews ready. So it only remains for us to say... Everything is awesome. Neil, stop singing that (laughs) bloody song if you don't. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. (laughs) Hopefully by the time of the next show, the Liam Neeson story will have been forgotten and Jeff can find something else to pick on. And to everyone else, thanks thanks for listening listening and and goodbye. goodbye.